0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Speargo with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher even if they don't. Today is September 10th, 2013, and this is episode 1200 and four of the Survival Podcast. I've got an interesting one for you today. I've got an interview with two folks instead of one. We're going to be talking about permaculture earthworks and an earthworks course coming up in Louisiana that's going to be taught by a guy that studied directly under Jeff Lawton. And uh, he's an awesome dude and another awesome dude. And I'm going to confuse you when I introduce them, at least a little bit. Uh, you'll find out about that in a second. Before I do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today is Backyard Food Production. Hey, we're going to talk about producing food today. You want the down and dirty how to do it and make it work and do it with all of your food production on anything from a tenth of an acre to a hundred acres? You want Mar- Marjorie Wildcraft's DVD series called Growing Your Groceries. You'll find that at BackyardFoodProduction.com. Uh, it really would make a lot of sense, though, to go to the survivalpodcast.com first and click on the link in today's show notes or the uh, banner in the right-hand margin, especially with Marjorie because she gives a special deal to all TSP members, not just MSB members. Uh, by the way, though, MSB members, you get an even better deal, so make sure you go to benefits section first before you buy from Marjorie. That backyard food production. Next up today, fortress defense consultants. I have what I call the the triangle of gun operator effectiveness. Three things that must be present to be effective as an operator of a firearm. The first is a gun. No gun, no effectiveness. Can't be a you know. You can be an effective combatant, but you cannot be an effective gun operator without a gun. Kind of fits you know. Pretty easy to understand. Second's ammo. Gun? No ammo? Maybe you can brandish it and get away with that, but likely you're gonna end up dead. You gotta have ammo. You gotta have ammo not just to send down range in a lethal situation or to put food on the table. You gotta have ammo to train with so that you can make sure that you complete the third part of that triangle, which is training. The operator himself. Now, if you want the best training I can recommend for you, get in touch with Frank Sharp Jr. over at Fortress Defense Consultants. He will hook you up with great training. Check him out today at FortressDefense.com. Next up, I want to remind you guys about the relaunch of 13 Skills. I haven't received anybody uh, with uh, any of the uh, badge uh, entries yet. You know, we're looking for folks that can create badges that uh, bloggers will display on their blogs and their forums and things like that that say, hey, check out my, my profile over at 13skills.com. If you want to participate in that, send me an email with 13 Skills contest in the subject line, and just attach them as JPEGs or GIFs or PNGs or what have you. And I will put all of the entries that we do get up, up sometime next week. We'll vote on them. And the winner, whoever gets the most votes, will get a free lifetime MSB membership. That's a $300 value if you can buy it. It's not generally available. So that would be a good price. We will not discard all the entries, though. We will put them all on a single page and let users pick what they want to use. But I thought this would be a great way to get some traction for 13Skills, which is turning into a great website. Our developer, David, is very, very excited about what he's got going on now. Uh, he's got some time to work on some improvements, and so we're working on some new improvements already. Check it out at 13Skills.com. Ch- take the 13Skills challenge to improve or gain skills in 2013, 13 new skills in 2013, and next year it will be the 13 and 14 challenge. We won't keep upping the number of skills, but we'll keep doing it because that's how you improve your skill set and your knowledge. Last but not least, consider joining the member support brigade. If you do that, you'll get special content available nowhere else, and you'll get discounts to over 40 vendors. And you'll get things like $200 worth of free eBooks the day you sign up. You also are going to have an opportunity to get an incredible discount on the Earthworks course you're about to hear about. Um, Nick Ferguson and Nick Burton are going to be putting on this course in Louisiana. I've been trying to set something up with Jeff Lawton. Um, it's not been the easiest thing in the world to do because the guys wanted by, you know, to design countries. Um, so this would be the easiest thing you could do to get the same level, I believe, of instruction you would get from Jeff. Um, Nick Bertner has studied directly under Jeff Lawton. This will be a five day workshop in Louisiana and uh, you're going to hear all about it today. They're going to offer you a great discount though for MSB members. 200 bucks. So this is one of those things. If you're not an MSB member and you're going to go to the workshop you're about to hear about, it would make sense to join because you're still 150 bucks ahead at the end of the day. Plus, you get the membership. Anyway, uh, with that said, I'm ready to introduce our special guests. And now I'd like to uh, confuse everyone by saying, "Hey, Nick and Nick, welcome to the Survival Podcast."
1: How hey, you Jack. doing, guys? Hey, Jack. Thanks for uh, inviting us on. This is Nick Bertner. Uh, thanks and- for having. Again, good good to, good, to talk with you.
2: And I'm Nick Ferguson, and this is the first time I've been on here. Not to be confused with the other Nick.
0: The other Nick. <laughs> I was saying before we got you guys online that whenever I talk to one of you, the other one is the other Nick. Now, for folks that maybe have not uh, heard Nick Burtner before, he's been on the show before, Nick was an intern uh, with Jeff Lawton down in Australia at the PRI, uh, he's now got his own school called Working with Nature here uh, in the, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, Nick Ferguson uh, helped me out with our first workshop. and uh, really switched on guy with permaculture and has a nice property just a bit away in Louisiana. And he wanted to run an earthworks course there. He wanted me to come teach it. I'm like, not only am I busy, I don't know that I'm qualified to do a project of the size you're going to do. So I put Nick and Nick together. And what we've got them on to talk to us about today is Earthworks in general and the workshop that's coming up at Nick Ferguson's property that Nick Burtner will be teaching. As I said, it's my goal to confuse everybody today while we learn something. Um, anyway, <laughs> Nick Ferguson, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your property and uh, kind of what your goals for it with this Earthworks workshop and, and are? Sure.
2: Sure. Um well, the property is in Louisiana. It's not swamps. It's piney hills. We've got dry, sandy, loamy soils. Um, this is my family's property, and for the past 30 or 40 years, it's been in pine regrowth and just scrub and brush. It was, for decades before that, um, watermelon fields. So we've got some... uh some hard pan issues wherever there aren't trees um, and basically, what we are looking at is this this property is not meeting the ethic of people care um it's not caring for the people that live on it and the people that um, need it to provide for them and so my thought was um, since these pine trees are are getting so big and and bug eaten that they're just becoming a liability. Why don't we take that liability and transform it into something productive and positive by taking these pine trees out, milling them up into buildings that we can use to make a uh, um, a classroom, a bunkhouse to uh to house people when they come for workshops and courses and classes. And um, all of the trash wood and the tree tops that we can't use otherwise, um, I want to use those for making some hoogle beds that will um, help block out sound from the highway and will also be a huge productivity for us. And, uh, and so basically what we want to do is uh, knock down some of these trees that aren't caring for the people and turn it into something much more productive, much more... Um, biodiverse and start healing this land and and help it success into greater productivity and fertility
0: very cool, and just so everybody gets kind of a scale in mind, could you t- what's the size of the property?
2: Um, we have uh, it's a total of twelve and a half acres, but we're only going to be messing with um, at most six acres, but that all depends on the response we get you know if we if we have a whole bunch of people, that really want to come to this course, then we'll, we'll work on the whole six acres, but you know, we'll scale that back according to the response and, uh, according to our abilities.
0: Sure. Sure. So, um, just straight away so people can, you know, know and, and decide whether they want to come or not, what are the dates and what is the, uh, what is the, uh, the planned, uh, uh, course going to be like, and I guess probably, Nick Burtner, since you're going to teach it, that might be one for you to answer.
1: Sure. Well, this is Nick Burtner. Um, when uh, – uh, Nick, you said it was October 25th?
2: Tw- 24th through the 27th. 24th
1: through the 27th. Um, this is going to be an awesome course. Earthworks is one of the courses that if you want to do this as a serious knowledge seeker or – a permaculture educator or a design consultant, um, you can't miss out on a on an Earthworks course. It is the application to various climates and creating a design emphasis towards moving water in the right way. How we can get an advantage out of Earthworks uh for water use and flow so we can do things later because all life starts with water. A uh, seed is amazing. It, it's like a little robot that we just really need to take care of the soil. And the emphasis on starting with that from water catchment is uh, the primary factor in earthworks. We don't ever really have a rain shortage problem. We have a rain storage shortage problem, if that makes any sense. Um, So we're going to be going over all types of earthwork applications, not only to Nick Ferguson's particular site, but for uh, the three main climates of of the world, and um, specifically to Ferguson's climate in the Piney Woods so that's a kind of a rough outline of what we will do but um, uh, we and i as a, the teacher there and also nick ferguson's somewhat permaculture consultant we're going to be doing a lot of what nick wants to do over his uh, nick ferguson wants to do over his particular timeline and scale of his property which which nick i think you wanted to uh, open up a demo site of your own I believe That's right.
2: Yeah. Um we're we're really the you know I believe that you work with the end in mind and and with that as the basis um you know we don't have the capability of you know just jumping into a demo site immediately but um with that in mind um we're we're really trying to work towards eventually having um Having a permaculture school established here—that's um, going to take some, you know, a few years. But um, as we progress, um, you know, we hope to be able to have a place where um, other permaculture teachers from from this region and this um, this you know subclimate of North America can come here and they can teach a course if they don't have a location of their own. But yeah, we're 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 wanting to set up a a a demo site and a farm and really, you know, show show the people in this in this area because Louisiana is not very um, on the map with sustainable agriculture and and we really want to just be able to demonstrate that this stuff works and it works amazingly well and it's when you when you have it right. It's easy.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunity in Louisiana for uh, permaculture to take root, and there's a lot of need for it. There's a a very high poverty rate in your state, maybe not quite so much in the area that you're in, but... Um, it, there's there's a, a lot of need there from an agricultural basis, from an in, industry basis, and from uh, a, a need of the people of that state as well. And as I keep saying, I think it's incumbent upon us that are in the preparedness world to start rebuilding society before it collapses. Because in a lot of ways, the collapse is in progress. It's not the... You know, Mel Gibson nightmare movie collapse that everybody thinks about. It's a slow crumbling of society as the quality of our food, our education, and our lives has has you know declined over time. But as long as you have a new phone, you don't seem to realize it. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad that you guys are doing this together. I'm glad that when I put you guys together, that worked out. Um Nick Bartner, when you you've you've been out and actually walked the property, so you have a a foreknowledge of what you're getting into, um what is your assessment of the property's potential?
1: We just basically need to go in there with an excavator and turn everything over. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um look, Ferguson is, as I'm sure he could tell you, he's right there in the thicket of what's called the Piney Woods, which in Texas we get that too, and then it goes into Post Oak Savannah, into the Blackland Prairie, all the way over to the Trans-Pecos region, but that's a a topic for another day. What he has is really an abundance of sandy soil that is going to be somewhat slightly on the acidic side because of the uh, abundance of, of pine trees. And the six acres where where we walked, and I even took out a rotary laser level so we could mark some swales, we weren't able to do that because this is kind of where a permaculturist really has to take a breath and, and, and think about what we're advising people. He has six acres of nothing but forested area. He's got some old-growth pine and some new new growth of – I believe it was oak, wasn't it, Ferguson? It was oak. Yes.
2: Um, the the um. southern half of the property is mixed hardwoods, and what we're only going to be touching is the, the northern half. So, so if you look at it on the whole property, we're talking about um, dealing with 50 percent of the property that is forested.
0: And it, with it being mostly pine, I think we can feel a little bit better about removing a lot of those trees. And in, in the south, in these monocultured pine stands, especially mature now, we're getting massive infestation from pine beetles, and a lot of these stands are being wiped out. And it's probably a good time to uh, to make some changes. Just. Uh, just time wise in the, in the broad spectrum of things. I know as long as almost 20 years ago, a friend of mine's father has some land down in southern Louisiana and had uh, about seven acres of, of mature pine completely devastated by pine beetle.
1: That's a, pine beetle is an interesting critter and trees are just interesting in general. Um, he is next to Quite a big water reservoir, like literally right next to one. It's got a beautiful.
0: Um, you actually have pro- the property actually borders that, doesn't it? That's that's correct. Yeah, you so, guys are It's immaculate.
1: So it, when we're talking about putting a forest next to an edge, which he already has, which is why it's you know almost um, a very hard decision to say, hey, look, Ferguson, this is this the only property you got? Because I would almost first and foremost, recommend that he goes to another piece of property to do permaculture. But but the majority, the vast majority of people have, have hey, this is all I got, and this is what we've got to work with. So in this case, we have to selectively go through and cut down forest to put up forest. <laughs> <laughs> kind of an interesting situation, but – Because we have a system that's already set in place, so why do this? Well, the reason to do it is for for food security, long-term food security, and the regeneration of of human habitat on that particular property.
0: And And there's – correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a plan to put quite a bit of water onto this property as well in ponds and dams. And when you do that, the biodiversity increase is generally worth uh, the sacrifice of especially a monocultured uh, tree system. I mean, even your your mentor, Jeff, w- would say that, correct? Oh,
1: of course. I mean, of course. Um, he's got a place, the low part, part of his land, he wants to put in. Fer- I'm talking about Ferguson. <laughs> this is going to get confusing. <laughs> He's got a place at the end of his land that already has this very interesting gully kind of chopped out where I believe he was saying there was a road for, for uh, logging companies back, back some years ago, which, um, will be wiped out, but it's already kind of in an area where, where, um, he wants to put in a pond, which it, I couldn't say, hey, let's go ahead and do that. It probably will work there but we're going to have to get in and do a little bit of shaving so we can go and, and look at where the actual contour is. Because I was just in West Texas earlier this week, and we're talking about a flat piece of land, right? And I'm over here putting swales down with the with the couple. Uh, we're marking swales, I mean. And, and they're just dumbfounded. You know, it looks like straight lines. It's not. It's not what you think until you get out there and you, and, and you have either A-frame or a laser level or a sight level, transit level. And so it, we're going to be in for some surprises of probably what we're thinking. And if we're using old topography maps, which we'll get for free, those aren't accurate. No. <laughs> um, so there's going to be a lot of um, you know when we're out there and we have the equipment and we, and we market it. Um, so, And that's kind of expected. You know, it's expected everywhere. Um, and and I mean, that just crosses the border, not just permaculture. Until you can actually get on the ground and see something, we're not going to really know if we can or not. But on a kind of side note, that what is that road or that, that big goalie that kind of goes through your land? That's an interesting um, – we didn't go into detail. I really wanted to know what that was.
2: Well, uh, that uh, – this is Nick Ferguson. Um and that is supposed to be i've been told um the remains of some logging that happened um that was probably 150 years ago back before my great great grandfather owned it um and after all that logging happened to clear that land um before the reservoir was even put in um that was All this whole property, including this, the southern half that, um, that we're not going to touch, that's all in mixed hardwoods. Um, this whole property was nothing but watermelon fields. Um, so it went from, uh, probably virgin timber, um, got logged out, um, and was put into, Monocrop agriculture. And then after he passed away, the, the property just grew up in scrub and, uh, and pine trees. They might have planted pine trees. I'm not sure. That was a couple generations removed from me. Um, and my grandparents are, are gone now. Um, they mm-hmm. would have been the ones to know, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a deep, um, deep crevice that's carved out there's two of them that come down into a v leading out of the property um it's really interesting um when i was younger i tried to dig myself a hobbit hole in the in one of the banks but it's about (laughs) it's about six feet deep and six feet wide at the bottom and and you know 80 90 degree sides so it's it's real interesting looking
1: wow that, that, that is
0: real interesting. I think that, that one of the things that happens whenever you start looking at a property for earthworks and permaculture in general, you begin to develop a historical timeline of the property's use. And some of the things you can look at and evaluate on my property here, you, you, you've both seen it. You can go out in my west pasture and you can see the story of the goats destroying the pasture because they weren't managed properly. You can just look at it and go, that's where they were grazed, and they ate everything there, and now there's none there but, you know, caliche soil. Um, and you start looking through historical geographic records, and you start to find the property story, and you find that almost all property in the United States that people can purchase today has been harmed, has been wounded, has been damaged. We look at Ben Falk's property up in, New, uh, in Vermont. And it's basically been ravaged five times by by humankind before he got the opportunity to heal it. And that's really what we're talking about is, the, you know, as Jeff Lawton calls, earth surgery. Uh, and to take this piece of property that's this monocultured pine stand, and yes, some trees are going to come down. But as those trees come down and we understand the property better, because we can actually get a better look at it at that point, to understand how to not just plant something you want more uh, in the property itself, but actually to create a system of texture and, and, and topography in the land that works with gravity and works with constants like solar exposure and water moving at right angle to contour so that the land itself becomes more stable.
1: Oh, exactly. Uh, speaking of constants, water is—you know—through observation, it is the one of the one element in nature that has the most constants. You were just mentioning uh, right before we got on the the interview that um, you have a way to show people a level fill, which that's another constant of water—is that what pacifies water? Because water can be vigorous. Let's look at you know tsunamis. Let's look at raging streams. But what pacifies water, makes it peaceful, is level. And by doing an Earthworks course, we get to go in and find out what it is about water and how we can retain it and soak it in and use different strategies and structures to harmonize with the constants of water. Um... Another aspect in permaculture that I think a lot of people might enjoy knowing is the inputs to output ratio. So I'm, you know, we're all kind of eco guys, if you want to admit it or not, you know, we care about what's going on. So if we have somebody kind of jump over at us and say, Oh, you guys are, you know, worry about the environment, but you're using tractors, you're using D4, D9, 65 ton machines to come in and, and move Earth around. What what kind of you know green guys do this? Well, that's when we have to st- take a step back and say, look, what's the amount of energy input to the amount of energy output? So if, and here's here's a couple examples. Say I want to put fertilizer on my crop. I'm a monocrop farmer. Um, then the amount of embodied energy that was created by that was used, I mean, to create that NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, because that's really all that's in artificial fertilizers, is tremendous. I mean, the amount of electricity, the amount of coal and wood used, the amount of uh, uh, expenses used on trucking this stuff around for one growing season. So that's backwards thinking. Okay, so let's go back to digging a pond or digging a swale or creating a terrace in the proper spots. We're using a couple of liters or a couple of uh, gallons of diesel for a pond that's going to last two or 3,000 years. And, you know, when we're talking about diesel, when you go 300 miles in most cars, that's one that, – that's a little – it's around an acre of ancient forest system that's turned into fossil fuels. I mean, this, this is, you know, insanity uh, at times, but we've got to look at the inputs and the outputs.
0: What I keep saying about that is future generations won't be so upset with us that we burn the oil. They'll be upset with us at what we burn the oil to accomplish or, more accurately, fail to accomplish. Exactly. It, it, it's a resource, and it can be managed and used uh, responsibly. All three of us own vehicles, and we drive places, Um but when it comes down to doing something like Earthworks, the return on energy is insane. Uh, what that one machine can do with, with 20 gallons of fuel, uh, would take a village months to do by hand if it was even possible. And we can sit around and want to do everything by hand, but, or we can get it done. And to me, especially when you look at the world of Earthworks, that's the time to bring that heavy equipment in and, it only comes there to do the work, then it goes away, and and the system you leave behind is largely either self managed or e- easily managed by human labor and very small inputs of energy after that.
2: That's right. You you just need to you have to keep in perspective. You know the uh, the difference between investing something. And getting a very small return and investing something that's going to return to your great, great, great grandchildren. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're talking about is we're, we're investing our time and, and some of these scarce resources into something that is going to return dividends to generations and generations past us, people that won't even know our names. That's, that's what what makes me so excited about um, just the whole topic of earthworks and the the potential behind that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's evidence of this. I remember in the Global Gardener series that Bill Mollison did, uh, walk, him walking through these deserts in the southwestern United States where they put swales in, and the actual intent of the swales was to stop erosion so that dust wouldn't blow out in the road. Um, so they weren't really put in with the right motivation. They were growing cotton for the war effort in the desert and irrigating, and they needed to prevent erosion. They weren't really thinking about sustainability with that. Um, but there's these strips of green in the middle of this brown desert. This stuff was put in, um, not even really during the war, really during the, the time of the Civilian Conservation Corps leading up to the war. So the 1930s, and they just sit there and continue to function. If you, if you put this in, for instance, and God forbid, 50 years from now, a huge fire burned everything to the ground, the forest is going to return and success, success back. It won't be the designer forest you put in, but the structures themselves aren't going anywhere.
1: No, they're not, and hopefully by that time they'll have, you know, half-meter or molar of soil. And believe it or not, a half-meter of healthy soil will remove E. coli. <laughs> Let's think, oh, wow. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. You know, biological decomposition can also create pathogens. It's removing pathogens. And I do some of the, these courses here at our urban site. I do a lot of intro uh, stuff too. And a lot of people are into gardening. You know, A lot of people get into permaculture with um, the food part of it or gardening. We have some really sexy techniques uh, to do that in permaculture but you know we're really not gardeners you know we're we're soil conservationists really uh we're we're composters and and that's kind of what we're doing in permaculture but before we could even get to that point we've got to start with the earthworks um, looking at some of the options for catching water they actually go up your options go up the more downhill you are in a landscape or say you own the whole mountain the higher you are the small the water catchment areas and options become fewer and the lower you are down slope they become more Ferguson's particular property is almost at you know lake level and he has a very interesting scenario as he is the middle of his property is uh, have, you, have you? It's kind of on a hill, and then on one side you got a lake, and then on the other side comes the end of his property, and they both kind of go downhill from that. <clears throat> so we've got to go in and, and do some really fancy um, uh, surveying to see how to, to see how to slow the water down and give it time to soak in, so we can establish a system. It's, I feel very fortunate working with Ferguson because he's already so hyped up on all, on all this, and we don't have to explain too much.
0: <laughs> you don't have to convince him to do it either. He's, he's got to convince you to do it. That's that's unique sometimes, I think, in uh, in your world.
2: It's it's awesome. Thanks,
0: <laughs> <Hey>, Ferguson. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and well, Jack, I I don't you know I I don't say this to toot my own horn, but I've been in. Um, alternative agriculture and this kind of a mindset since I was a little kid. My my grandfather taught Charles Walters of Acres USA, for goodness sakes. Um, and my grandfather taught at many many of the Acres conferences. Um, he was a prepper. You know, I've I've grown up in quite a non-mainstream. Worldview and I was homeschooled and I was given the freedom to, to pursue, um, educating myself in things that I liked and, and, and always my focus was ecology and biology and natural systems. And so, you know, this is when I, when I heard the word permaculture and, and, you know, keyed in on it, it was, it was not so much a, Oh, this is a great new thing, but it was a, wow, this brings into coalescence all of these different things that I've been told about and taught since I was a little kid. And that's what makes me so excited is, is looking back over my life, I can see all these different little things that I thought were so disparate and so, so just scattered. Um, now that I have permaculture to, to focus this in on, it's like, wow, that this is what I'm supposed to do. Because this is what I've been learning all of my life. This is what all of this stuff just fits in, just like a, a perfect finished, you know, 2000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's the pattern. I, I now have the, the picture to compare it with. And oh, yeah. That's where all that goes. Cool. So that's why I'm so excited about it.
1: Jack, would you, would you not uh, back me up and say when a lot of people get into permaculture, and, and this is actually not uh, Ferguson's particular story, but they feel like this is something I've known my whole life.
0: It, yeah, and it comes in different ways. There's there's people like me that grew up with kind of the prepper background, hunting and fishing and gardening as part of their life, but never really thought about it from a, a holistic standpoint, never from any kind of, and I, I say use this word in a very positive way, never from the hippie perspective, right? It's just, it's what you do. And and you find it and you go, duh, because it just makes sense to you because you've been around natural systems all your life. You you can't spend hours in your teens standing on a two-foot-by-two-foot two platform in a tree watching the forest and not have some of it become internalized. Then you get other people that th- their whole life they've been trying to figure out how to do good things and how to do the right thing and how to make things that are, 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 are bad better. And when they find that it, it clicks for them. I think there's probably dozens of perspectives that people come from, but it always closes the box the same way as to, this makes sense, and intrinsically I knew that natural systems work, I just didn't understand exactly how, or I didn't understand how we could actually create and repair them. Uh, For me, the big swing was greening the desert when I saw what Jeff did in the desert and I went, well, oh, crap, if you can do that there, then we should be able to do this everywhere. And then I learned, you know, like the first thing I really learned about true permaculture beyond plant a tree instead of corn was what a swale was. Like when I saw that video, I'm like, what is this swale thing you speak of? And I kind of ferreted out and understood the hydrology of it. And I would find myself driving down the highway Looking at a hillside that was plain grass and seeing the contour line and just going i can I'm designing this in my head at seventy five miles an hour driving down the highway, and that whole thing of wasted space could be producing food for people. Exactly. And you get you get a little bit of that, like, you know, Messiah complex. Well, we'll just go tell people about it and we'll do it. And then you realize, well, <laughs> well you know, uh, Bill came up with this in 78, and a lot of people have been through that little escapade. And you start realizing, okay, to make this work, I've got to find land, access to land, and I've got to start putting it into practice instead of just talking about it. And I think... One way or another, most people go through that. And some people do it with amazingly productive small-scale systems, and some people do it on a, a system the size of what what, what you and 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 uh, Nick Ferguson are going to do with this workshop. And some people blow it up, man. You know, they do the Mark Shepard thing and they they integrate it into 120 acres or more. And it's all of those things together. And what's what's great is that no matter how you come to that realization that yeah, this makes sense, and I always knew this. You can find whatever size system fits with your budget, your goals, your time, and you can make it work. Because we can put little micro swales into an urban garden. We'll probably talk about that a couple weeks before you do this one when you're out here at my uh, course teaching it. Um, And then you can go in and put in massive, huge swales with a 25-ton or bigger excavator and shape land in a way that makes it productive. And it seems radical, but yet you don't think it's... I know what you're saying. When you first really learn about it, and as soon as it clicks and you get it, it doesn't seem radical. It seems like, of of course that would work. Water follows level. Okay. It'll soak in. Okay. It'll last longer. Okay. If the trees are there, and they're reaching down, and there's all these different species, and this one makes nice... it, It all just seems to make perfect sense. And you almost go why is this even seen as a revolutionary concept instead of why are we not just doing this all over the place?
1: Well, that's awesome. I mean you also have the 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 experience and the knowledge to be able to look at the land and make that that leap to go, man, man this can be productive by doing XXY. And after this Earthworks course, Everybody who attends is going to be looking at the land a lot differently. Uh, it's not just going to be empty places on the side of the road that you drive by. Which, I mean, you, your brain will start filling in the gaps, and you'll go, oh, wow, there's a pond site right there connected to a swale with a spillway that runs off here that, that waters my cows, and I can run chickens through. And it's, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it starts getting really fun. You can't stop it. The... Um, which kind of takes me to a place that says, okay, hey, look, when you take a permaculture design course, that's the foundation of this, this you know, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer. It stops what you're currently doing in your mind and kind of rewires something that makes tons of sense. You could design anything now, not just landscape. You could design everything by using these same principles, observation, other methods of design. And so, what we're really doing is we're empowering you. We're giving you confidence. And if you if you feel like, hey, you know what, I need a little bit more, go into an Earthworks course, get that confidence there. You need a little bit more. Go to soils courses. The education is there. I would rather, and I, I Ferguson. I think you too. I think you are uh, going into teaching and demo site and consulting as a, as I am doing as well, but to be honest with you, I would rather work myself out of a job. I'd rather teach you how to do this and you do it on your own and make a video of it and put it on YouTube. Don't get me wrong. I'll come to your location, but but this is empowering stuff. So every time that you're taking a course, it's to gain confidence. And if you still don't have it for whatever reason, use that resort then to go, hey, I know Nick Ferguson. I know Jack Pierco, I know Nick Bertner. I know there's a guy in Austin. His name is uh, Theron Boudreaux. He's a contemporary of mine. He's also been to um, to um, Zaytuna Farm, a good fellow. You know, call us up and say, hey, look, we can help. We we are say are say, hey, I have this training and want this. It's going to make our, our job easier. We only need to be there a day, helping you mark swales or whatever it is that you need to be doing. If you don't have any experience, you don't have the time for courses, then, you know, we need to come up with a plan because it will take more than one day uh, um, to get like a master plan and a yearly management holistic system going. But, yeah, uh, Jack, I mean, it's a it's a life changer. The neurons just start clicking on, and it's just like whoa, whoa, can't stop it. <laughs> UFOs start going around in your brain. That was another deal, Ferguson, at your uh, your property <laughs> site. I think I think we found a place where a UFO had landed.
2: <laughs> oh
0: my! I knew you were going to mention that. Was it a fairy ring? <laughs> <laughs> it was a fairy ring, and you guys saw a flying saucer was got, there. I'm sure both you know what a fairy ring is. I have no
1: idea what a fairy ring we've, is, Jack.
0: No. I just had a question about them because the guy was freaked out because he had this fungus growing in a circle in his, his yard. Fairy rings are, they usually form, sometimes the tree stump still there, but often the tree is long gone. And one way or another, they form around what was basically the drip line of a tree with a nutrient cycle from the root system. And fungus will form in a circle. And it'll also change some of the things about the fertility of this circle. And it could be anywhere from a couple inches uh, thick to, uh, to maybe a foot thick or more. And it'll go around a circle as big as that tree was. And sometimes you'll have conventional mushrooms. Sometimes you'll have odd-looking funguses. Sometimes when the fungus isn't there, the grass or the, the vegetation that's there will be decidedly greener or decidedly less green than the surrounding vegetation, leaving this weird circle in the middle of a field. And it's been something that a lot of UFO enthusiasts have said, see the flying saucer landed here. No, it's just the function of the way fungus uh, behave. Uh, in the absence of a tree that was there, decayed and went away. I, I can't believe that between the two of you guys, I'm the only one that knew that. So now I feel smart.
1: No, no, of course you knew, you knew that. That is what we saw, wasn't it, Ferguson? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no. What we had, I think, was just a simple case of some straight-line winds knocking some some saplings down. Um, but on the, the fairy rings thing, what's interesting is sometimes you'll see those uh, those mycelial nets well, they'll start fruiting, and they'll start in one central spot. And as that mycelial net ripens, um, it will—you'll f- see the the mushrooms, you know, the toadstools pop up in a in a ring. And those will fade, and new ones will pop up, and that ring will get bigger and bigger, like tossing a pebble into a pond—that yep. ripple that goes out. And sometimes it'll get, you know, it could get 20, 30 feet in diameter.
0: Yep. We've yeah, yeah, they're they're interesting.
2: Yeah, we've had some really cool uh, actual fairy rings here on our property. Um, generally in the fall when it gets moist and cool.
1: Well, here here's a good example to show you. In permaculture, you can't and you do not need to know everything. Look, I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a glass maker. If it takes more than drinking water out of a glass. That's all I can do. You know? <laughs> yeah. So we get to rely on everybody who has good information and network with the people. No one person can, can get all this, not even Bill Mollison, who is a freak of information. So let's not be too concerned about, oh, man, I can't speak up because I haven't took a permaculture design course. And I know there's a lot of people out there who might feel that. Let's give in to being able to make mistakes. And and the person who makes the most mistakes is probably the person we should be listening to.
2: Right.
0: Yes, yeah, they're doing some.
2: Yeah, you think about it like a, a guild of minds. No no one plant is going to make a healthy system, um, just like no one mind is going to make a healthy system.
1: Yeah, can yeah, I, can- go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say guild is an interesting Word. I've been using it for a while, and I've been contacting other permaculturists in this region, and I say let's guild together. Um, and I think uh, Ferguson, you and I kind of talked about this yesterday a little bit on the phone. Um, and then I started really examining words because words are powerful. The word guild itself is a it is a loose definition. It's a, an assembly of uh, diverse, typically plants that help each other but mainly for one element like a tree so guild is an awesome word but, but it could have some, some meanings like one of the things comes up and and goes and it's just kind of a you know interesting in-depth conversation about the word guild but uh maybe a cooperative yeah it would be a better better um dialect rather than guild. Most people are not going to know that's what guild means anyhow and I'll probably show you, use the word guild.
0: <laughs> guilds are cool. I mean, the, the original guilds were, the term has its roots in things like, you know, a stone cutter group creating a guild and, it was actually designed to create stability for the stonecutters so to make sure that no one else got in the way and did something different. So it wasn't necessarily positive, but it did create stability. And guilds in nature do the same thing. They create stability, and while everything's progressing toward climax and eventually decline and, and or another turning, uh, that stability along the way is what gives longevity to the system. I had my mind kind of open to the concept of a guild, though, uh, and I emailed, uh, you, Nick Bertner on this. Nick, you, Ferguson, you're probably going to hear this for the first time. And this was awesome. When I was with Dave Jackie in Montana, uh, he was talking about how guilds, everybody thinks of a guild as a polyculture, right? So we have this, this polyculture sitting here and it's a guild and that all polycultures are guilds, but not all guilds are polycultures was his statement. And he pointed to this, this study done in, uh, organic vineyards in, uh, California. And there was this leaf hopper that would get on the grapes and cause a severe lo- uh, loss in total yield off of the grapes. And since they were organic, they could only do so many things. But yet some of the vineyards had small losses or almost no losses, and others had very large losses. And they weren't really that far apart, and they weren't really being managed that much differently. And none of them were really diverse systems, so it didn't seem to make sense. And they started asking, well, what's going on? Well, it turned out that blackberries have this this leafhopper pest of their own, and they go into leaf earlier than the grapes do. And when this leafhopper pest is on the blackberries, this predator, and I can't, some kind of you know leafhopper killer comes in and starts eating the blackberry leafhoppers. And then when the blackberries are kind of, they've done their thing, and the, the, the this predator's wiped out the blackberry uh, leafhopper, it, it doesn't have anything to eat anymore. But by then, the grapes have their own hopper and this predator just goes, I'll go eat that now. Now, the interesting thing was, stands of blackberries could be within four miles of the vineyard, and you would get this effect. But the vineyards that were more than four miles from these blackberry stands... Um, the the leaf miner uh, predator was not there by the time the grapes fruited on because it was looking for something to eat. It had a life cycle longer than either of the life cycles of its prey. So it needed both uh, generations to complete its own life cycle. So the guild in that situation was blackberries and grapes, even though they were separated by four miles of space. Wow. And, And that changes the entire concept of a guild. And I, I know I sound smart when I say that, but I get no credit for that. That's all Dave, Jackie. And uh, that kind of has to change the way we look at site analysis. Um, that, that starts to change the way we look at a lot of things. Because I think what we usually do, and I know I've been guilty of it, when I look at surrounding properties, I always first pick out, well, what's the negative? You know, that guy has a whole bunch of cattle and uh, he doesn't manage them properly and they're eroding the ground and all that stuff's coming down here. Can I figure out how to turn it into a a, a plus where we do side analysis, right? We can start realizing that very large pieces of land around us have both negative and positive effects on the land we're designing. And that's just, uh, you know, it's almost one of those things that's like it's almost too big to really know what to do with right now. But boy, I got to keep it in mind.
1: No, that, that's really cool. I, uh, Dave Jackie's awesome. Uh, I've heard it said that he's got those two books on food forestry. You can't write anything more on food forestry. It's, it's already been written.
0: <laughs> What's interesting, though, is how many things he's learned since they published those books. And he's really fond of saying, one thing you have to understand about my books and anybody else's books when it comes to, uh, you know, gilding when it comes to when things bloom, when it comes to things, you know, when things leaf out is the plants don't read books, right? So <laughs> um, this is a baseline guideline, but you're going to have to use observation to determine if this plant really goes to flower in March in your climate, even though the book says it will, because the plant didn't read the book and it's going to do whatever the hell it wants.
1: So I think w- when you were talking about guilds, was I mistaken? Were you about to bring up the, um, Um, eco village that you were
0: I'm not going to do that on our episode today because we'll go down a whole path and I'll I'll talk to both you guys about it off air if you want to Um, I'm actually publishing all new information about the progress with that concept on a different site so that I don't turn TSP into like the permit ethos infomercial um, but yeah, I mean that's that's something we'll, we'll we'll probably have to have you guys get involved with at least on some level. I know um, it, it's it's pretty exciting what's happened already there. I do want to stick with what we're doing, you know, here with Earthworks and particularly this course. Uh, but before we kind of uh, you know we're getting actually to a timeline where it's, it's time to kind of wrap up. But before we go over the course again, the dates, the cost, and things like that, um, and the accommodations, because I know Nick. Uh, Ferguson, you've made some arrangements for camping spots for people. I want to talk about a few updates with Nick Burtner since the last time you were on the show. You've had a lot of interaction with our audience, right? And you've heard from quite a few people that are like, I'd love to help you, but I'm not in Washington State or whatever. So there's some out-of-region stuff you wanted to bring up?
1: Yeah, I got a couple of um, items. First and foremost, man, you guys in the TSP audience, y'all rock. I gotta tell you, you've been nothing but really awesome and showed me lots of love, so a ton of love back to you and uh my you know any kind of service I can give you. Which brings me into um new courses. So I uh, I haven't put the dates out or the prices, but they'll typically be anywhere from four hundred fifty bucks to a thousand bucks. And I've changed it around to so we can do Thursday through Sunday courses. So if you need to fly in or whatever you need to do, you can limit the amount of time you need off of work. That has been a big concern for a lot of people. So uh, workingwithnature.org, click on the courses page. There's a whole list of new courses. There's even a poll you can take to say which one that do you want to take so we, so we know where to put our energy. Um, a second thing is a permaculturist isn't just trained for one region. Uh, we're trained for the three major uh, climate um, environments of the world and and even others like alpine and things like this. so a lot of you guys have contacted me and you're not from north texas and um, that's fine i'd be happy to come out to your to your area. Uh, I can do phone consultations too however on site consults are going to be the best but especially for something like earthworks or putting ponds or swales. So, um, you know, don't be discouraged. I'm sure there are folks out there who have an acre or two or, you know, a guy came the other day and he had like 4,000 acres and he's wanting to set something up. Um, But you might only have maybe three to $5,000 budgeted for this year, um, you know, that you can put into it. And, you know, me taking a thousand bucks right off the top every day is gonna you know for consulting fee might not work for you. Reach out to me anyhow. Use your own morals and ethics. Let me know what you think you can afford. I'm here to help you. I truly am. So whatever that you got, you know, come and, and, and allow me to help you. And if I can't do it, I will do my best to find somebody who can. I'm I'm doing my best to get a network of people in all regions, uh, actually, after last show, I went online, a lot of people don't know, and I contacted people across the globe and said, guys, let me know where you're at so I could send people your way. Um, didn't get a ton of, of um, qualified people back, but it, the, the, the fact of the matter is we're trying to help you. I'm really trying to help you. Um, last thing is um, kind of interesting. I have... Uh, been working on getting 10 acres. It was going to be in East Texas in a little town called Ben Wheeler. I think it's still up on the website. I need a change. It fell through. I would ideally like to be uh, east of Waco, kind of in between Houston, San, uh, Houston, Austin, and Dallas. So I'm looking for 10 or more acres to purchase or uh, even if not purchase, be a main stakeholder in because uh, I'd have to do that to be able to put a school there. So if anybody has property or knows um, somebody who has property or just wants to get involved, send me an email, and um, I will definitely be interested in talking to you about that. I would like to, to get moving on that before the end of the year. I'd like to get that done. Learn at workingwithnature.org is my email address and my phone number, because uh, a lot of times it takes me a while. Like, I go out of town, and I might not come back for a week to get on email. So my phone number is 214 214- Eight five six eight four seven seven. Again, it's two one four eight five six eight four
0: seven seven.
1: Oh, and if I don't answer, then do both. Leave a voicemail and an email.
0: Very cool. So, um, back to Nick Ferguson because folks are going to want to come to this class. Um, you've got a website set up. I'll have a link directly to the page. Um, but this is a major Earthworks course. This is not. Um, uh, you know how to d- to draw a plot. This is going to be heavy equipment and a major project, um, and it's going to be something I think that people really should consider taking the opportunity for because it's not every day that there's an opportunity to go to a course. That's this involved no. and I think that once you go to this course and see it done in this environment because i haven't i, I couldn 't get out to walk the property with you and I-, I apologize for that, but we we basically built your property in a sandbox and i don 't mean one on the internet a li- literal sandbox when we right. did the the Hoogle court, Hoogle Mound course here at my property, and it 's a very ambitious Project. It's a big part of why I got Nick Bertner involved. I'm like, I don't know that I'm ready to to oversee something this large yet. And so tell people, you know, where they can sign up for it and what you've you've set up some pretty cool camping accommodations as well right across the street or something like that. That's right. Um, Before you answer, I just want to interject. I have an Earthworks course that I do, but the first
1: Earthworks course that our school will offer will be at Ferguson's location. So there will okay. be another one before that. Sorry, I just wanted to let people know. Okay.
2: Cool. Um, so yeah, the uh, the website is permacultureclassroom.com um, and we've got some tabs up there. You can check out the course. There's a whole bunch of details on it. Um, and we have uh, right across the road from us, right next door, there is a, um, a county run, uh, park. And it's right on the lake. There's a bathhouse with showers and bathrooms, sinks. Um, and I will have that whole park rented just for the attendees. There won't be anyone else bothering you. Um, there's plenty, we're talking like 20 acres. There's plenty of room to set up uh, tents and RVs. There aren't RV hookups, but, you, c- you know, we're talking about four days. Um, so there's plenty of room to stretch out. Um, if you want to pitch a tent on our property in the woods, most of it's wooded and sheltered. You can pitch a tent right on the water if you want, Um and so those are the accommodations. We do have the option of using um, the local library's uh, classroom. They've got a classroom that will seat 40 to 50 people. Um, so we have that option available to us if we need it. We probably will use it for a little bit of uh, uh, the classroom instruction. I know Nick has some uh, some slides he wants to use to illustrate stuff, Um And that's really nice. It's brand new. Um, and the, uh, uh, just as a a little aside, um, just because, you know, I've gotten so much, Jack, you've changed my life so much over the years. Um, and I appreciate the whole TSB audience so much. I've gotten to meet quite a few of you all. Um, at jack's workshop, and I love all of y'all so much that we're we're getting a huge discount for the m s b members um because I want to you know share some love with Jack, and I want y'all to support him so that we can reach more people with these you know the messages of hope and and i hate to say it change. <laughs> um so, uh, you know, there's there's so much that we can do. There's so many people that we can uh get the messages out there to um that I wanted to help encourage people check out the MSB, sign up because you'll get a great, huge discount on this course just because you're TSB members and you're part of my family. Um so with that aside, um we're going to have the course. We're going to loosely base it on Jeff Lawton's Earthworks course, um, and I loved his course. Um, I took his online course, and there's was a bunch of great information, but the only thing that I didn't like about it is that there was a lot of people who, who just had a hard time grasping a lot of those basic concepts um, because they couldn't see it. You know, they're the type of people that need to touch it and feel it and see it in person to understand, oh, that's how that works. Um, So that's going to be the main, um, you know, positive about this course is that you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to touch it. You'll be able to um, get down in the swale and see, oh, that is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. Um, So... We're going to be covering surveying, using maps, surveying tools, the soil types. We've got all of these things listed on the website. We've got pictures of the classroom. I have pictures of the the camping area that you can look at it and see, you know, exactly what you're getting into. And we've got many bios on both me, Nick Bertner, and Jack Spirko. Jack? If you're able to come, awesome. Um, and we've got some extra information about, you know, me and my family, some of the critters. We've got some funny pictures on there. And we're going to be posting uh, information on future events up there um, coming into 2014.
0: Awesome, awesome. And and the cost and the discount?
2: Um, the discount is going to be $200 for the XB okay. members. Um for a while, we're going to have a $100 um, early registration discount just to encourage people to sign up so we know kind of what kind of response we're going to be dealing with. Okay. Um, and uh, the cost is uh, for non-MSB, it's $1,100. For
0: the MSB, um, it's 900 and, and I'm on your page right now, and you're using PayPal, so I don't have, like, a discount thing. Are you going to, by the time we air this, have some way for MSB members to be able to, to get that discount? Yes. I have okay. already party
2: set up, and uh, I can email that to you today.
0: Okay, great. So this, will, this is going to air Tuesday the – I don't know. What is Tuesday? Tuesday. Everybody is like, it's already the 10th, Jack. It's, yeah, Tuesday the, the 10th because um, we're doing this on Thursday. And uh, we'll have that in the uh, MSB for everybody, and that'll be awesome. And uh, I thank both of you guys for being here, and I thank you for doing this. I think that um, people look at something like doing a course, and, and from my own experience of doing them, they think, well, you know, they run the course, and then they fund the project off of the, the cost of the course. And you do to a degree, but running a course is a lot more difficult than just hiring a piece of equipment, bring a guy in and tell him, hey, go do this. Um, there's a lot of logistics there's a little bit of politics and there's an awful lot that goes into hosting an event um, and it takes a special kind of person to to not just think oh it's a great idea but to actually have the commitment to get it done uh, and then it takes a special kind of person to go out and teach an event uh, so both of you guys thank you for making sure this is being done in a way that will allow people that are like I want to learn how to do this to actually learn how to do it absolutely
1: Oh man, thank you too, Jack. I mean, you're a cool, cool dude, and allowing allowing permacultures to, to come with you and and um, and just to keep leading the charge, man. Thanks for letting everybody know, dude. And Ferguson, you too, man. Thanks for having me out.
2: Looking forward to it. Thank you, Nick, and thank you so much, Jack, for everything you do.
0: All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Nick Ferguson and Nick Bertner, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I
1: don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do.
2: It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow up.